0: Welcome to. Uh, if you've come this far, uh, this is our podcast where we talk to cool, interesting people, uh, and we're excited to um, to welcome you to this episode where we get to talk to an academic, someone who studies the stuff that we think about all the time. Uh, we're having we have uh, Doctor Jeffrey Greif on the show, and Sean, you want to tell the listeners a little bit about uh, Doctor Greif?
1: Yeah, we we love talking to academics, right? Um, yeah, so, so, uh, Jeffrey, I, so I found out about Jeffrey, I was reading an article in the journal that Elizabeth Bernstein was writing about friendship and she had a quote from him in there. Um, and it referenced the book that he wrote called buddy system, understanding male friendships, uh, about 15 years ago. I'm like, this guy's right up our alley based on what we do. And so he's a professor at university of Maryland. Um, if, if you look at his bio, he's done a ton of work on relationships, a lot of familial relationships, um, fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, in-laws. I mean, just, he looks at the complexity of relationships and, um, what a wonderful conversation we had. I mean, just a really smart, insightful guy and, uh, quite enjoyable, really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. I don't know how many people have spent... What has it been for him? Almost five decades thinking about researching, talking to people about being a single father and raising kids or, or a single mother, if you don't have custody. I mean, he's really covered a lot of ground. Um, and, you know, we got interested because of the buddy system book, but there's so much more to the yeah. conversation. And, and but, I wish we had more time.
1: I think he's, I think he said he's um, studying interracial marriage now, I think is what he said, or interracial, interracial relationships. And and we asked him, you know, how he got interested in looking at male friendships. And he did his dissertation in, what, the 70s on yeah. on male relationships. And from there, he you know, was just kind of fascinated by it. So just a real interesting guy. Yeah.
0: Uh, another example, or, or not another example, but this is the second interview in a row where we've interviewed someone who's had a super long, successful, illustrious career and doesn't show any signs of slowing down. Uh, I think Jeff said he's 73, isn't that right? Yeah. hmm we asked yeah. him about retirement, and he like he didn't know what that meant, you know. I don't um, know. You were kind of pushing me
1: to retirement. You were like, "Hey, how come you how come <laughs> yeah. you're not retired now?" He was like, "Well, yeah. uh, kind of like what
0: I'm doing." I'm like, "You should really meet Is Ed Hagem." Ed's was got you? these golf courses you can go play in retirement. Yeah. <laughs> no, he was super <laughs> gracious too. Just a lovely, lovely man, right? Yeah, yeah. All
1: so, right. and it, it was gracious for him to hang out with us. He's probably like, wow, what did I get? My Myself into, but <laughs> I, I I think the listeners will enjoy the conversation.
0: I think so too. I, I sure did.
1: So let me start. Um, yeah, I wait to you. I sent you an email after reading uh, Elizabeth Bernstein's article in the journal. Um, really, I think it was an advent of Dunbar's book about friends, and and she had reached out to you, I think, for for some commentary. Um, and I saw that uh, you had written a book about. Uh, understanding men friendships, which man friendships, were, which we're all about. And then you called it the buddy system. And we have this aspect of our service where we call it diving buddies, where we're encouraging men to get together one-on-one for Sweet. deeper dives. Sweet. Um, so I'm like, well, I got to reach out to you and ask you to come talk to Chris and I about, about all this stuff, men friendships. So maybe start with um, why research male friendships?
2: Well, I can't get into that unless I get into a little bit of my own background, I guess. Exactly. That'd be,
1: that'd be, that would be perfect. That'd be great. Fine.
2: So um, so I began doing my, I, I guess going back to the late 70s, early 80s, I did my dissertation on, well, I did my master's thesis in 1974 on men's consciousness raising groups. I don't know if you know about them uh, or if they were before your time. There were women's consciousness raising groups coming out of the 60s. And then that followed into men's consciousness raising groups. So while wives or partners were getting together, um, then the men said, well, we should get together, too. And sort of offshoots of that. So I became interested in men and masculinity and gender related stuff. Um, OK. And so uh, I did my dissertation six or seven years later on fathers raising children alone following separation and divorce, single fathers with custody. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm married. I'm still married. My uh, wife was getting her PhD. I was getting my PhD at the same time. I'd take our one-year-old daughter around the parks and be pretty much the only guy there Mm -hmm. um, and hanging out with a lot of women and so on. And I said, well, what about men who were doing this for real? Because people assumed I was a single father or divorced or a widow or, or, or widower or, or whoever they thought I, I was. Um, I said, well, let's do a study on this and found out there hadn't been much done on it and was able to sort of go through parents without partners uh, yeah. and old, I don't know if people know about that group. I don't know if they're around to the extent that they were a uh, good place for single parents to meet people. They were pretty strong 40 years ago. And so I got a sample of about 1,200 fathers through them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll speed this up. And then I did a study on mothers without custody mm. because I was trained as a systems thinker. And for every father with custody, there's obviously a mother without custody. And you mm-hmm. get into, into f- feminist perspectives on men and women. Why would a woman end up without custody? What does society say about them? They mm-hmm. They are, they were demonized. You must be a bad person uh, if you don't have your your kids. Um, whereas men are not seen as being bad people if they don't have their kids to the extent that women are, of course. Uh, again, right. all the way that we, you know, have our socially constructed lives. So I did some books on them. Then I thought, well, what's at the far end of this? Cause I was working in the area of divorce and I was at the University of Maryland. And I needed to publish. And I figured out that child abduction is at the end of that. If you can't resolve issues, there's child abduction. That opened up another vein. Um, I then got um, connected to uh, Freeman Rabowski, who's African-American and the president of UMBC. And we did two books on academically successful African-American men, followed that up five years later with academically successful African-American women. I was then very much niched. You would only read those books if you happen to be in one of those, those those populations. Obviously, the African-American population opened up a lot more areas, but I said, let me try and broaden what I'm doing here. I'm interested in men's stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got into men's friendships. And that's how I got into, into couples friendships. And that's how I got into <laughs> adult siblings and in-laws. And now I'm doing, doing work on, on interracial marriage. So that's sort of the whole swath. So it was, it was sort of planned out about where can I go to sort of get some good information? I'm not yep. the world's best researcher, so I'm better coming in at the beginning than after other people have mined the research and you got to find some you know, statistically significant niche. I'm very good at describing what we all know, but still yep. putting it in into books. And I like to joke, and it's true that the three of us could go to the beach and write, you know, 80% of what I've written without ever doing any
0: research.
2: <laughs> Just to some extent, it's common sense. And and yeah, yeah I, I do find the 20% that maybe we yep. don't know about, but, you know, I'm describing what we all sort of believe is out there. And if I find something that's really out there, that's weird, it probably is incorrect. Um, so anyway, uh, so that's how so, I got
1: where we are. So, Chris, real quick, before we go back to the subject, I just want to say that uh, as a quick aside. So my son just graduated from Ohio State University and Freeman was get got a honorary degree. Oh, uh, it was a couple of weeks ago. That's and funny. he made some he made some comments. He was amazing. He was he a fantastic, amazing. a fantastic speaker. And what a story. What a story he has.
2: Yeah, no, he has um, a great story. And two of the books that we wrote together were were really, really uh, very successful books for me and for him too. That's good.
1: Know. That's great. So
2: small world. Yeah. Yep. Jeff,
0: I was, I was just going to uh, uh, take another tangent and ask you, I, I happen to know a little bit about defined benefit pension plans, particularly in the public sector. You've been at this a while. Um, is retirement uh, not on your radar? Cause it seems like you're moving pretty fast still.
2: Uh I'm 73. Uh to answer that question. Uh there's no mandatory retirement age. I I love teaching. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um and yeah, I'll retire in two or three years. But um, you know, to quote Robert Frost, you know, the woods are lovely, dark, and deep, and I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep. Uh Hoping to do do a few more things and talking to you guys is what makes this work so exciting and so much fun for me. That's That's awesome. That's awesome. So so again, thank you for having me on.
0: Yeah, no, we're excited to talk to you because so much of what you have studied and written about um, ties in directly with the things we're trying to do. Um, Can I ask you what your most popular recent class has been?
2: Uh, I teach three different classes. One is a research course on interracial families where students have to go out and interview people. I teach a PhD course on how to teach uh, everybody who gets a doctorate in social work at the University of Maryland and other schools mostly now in social work has to take a teaching course.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So mm-hmm. Uh, they know how to obviously produce um, a good class. And the other class, which is really my major area, is the advanced family therapy class. So I was trained by by Salvador Minuchin. may not mean anything, a structural family therapy in the 19, 1970s Um the only model of family therapy that grew up based on working with with the poor um, and Mm. the underserved in in New York. So it was a really important uh, model that fits social work and it talks about about boundaries Mm. and talks about um, triangulation. All that stuff you can see gets played into not so much men's friendships, though somewhat boundaries, but more when you get into my sibling stuff and my in-law, stuff on fathers-in-law and sons-in-law, mothers-in-law and daughters-in-law, a lot of stuff around boundaries, a lot of stuff around who's being triangulated, um, and really how to avoid triangulation and have
1: direct communication. Ah. So, so I'm curious, so you, uh, you, you did this book on on male friendships, uh, I think it was published in 2009, and, and the work I'm sure study was years before that. Um done a lot of work with family since then. and i'm and I'm curious you write about in the book, you talk about the difference between family and friends and 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 now, you know, fifteen years later, you've done a lot of work. It sounds like with family, um, you know how you look at the difference between family and friends and some of the similarities and what you're seeing, you know, in present time. Can you share that with us?
2: Yeah, great question. And I think the sibling stuff, especially, brings this to light but you're stuck with your family so and you're you're not stuck with your your friends unless you are ages 6 to 6 to 18 and you and you, you have to go to high school and and you can't escape but once you get into adulthood you can escape i can avoid friends i don't like who say racist or horrible things i can drop them say yeah. i now, you can do that with family, but there's a different different price to pay. And um, you know, we can get into the sibling stuff and, and men's roles in siblings and men's roles in in-law relationships. But in general, if I don't get along with my sister or brother, I, I get along with them fine. That, I think, it haunts one. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's a shadow sort of on one's life. You like to think that if you can work out your relationships with your siblings, not always true you're going to be more comfortable in intimate adult relationships now that doesn't mean if you are distant from your siblings you, you cannot have great relationships with a partner but i'm yep. saying you know writ large you, know, you want to be able to work on those relationships and i cite somebody um in the sibling book who is cut off from his his siblings but has a very loving relationship but he has to work it. At it, because mm-hmm. if you're doubting your relationship with your sibling or your parents or your children, um, it can go this way. So I'm looking at with friendships and couples friendships is, was the other book after the male friendship book. You look this way, we're talking horizontally. And it's interesting to consider how we match up our vertical relationships. How would I learn from my mother and father um, mm-hmm. about relationships or about men? Um, Mm -hmm. Did my my father have male friends? Was the house full of friends or was it like, no, this is a closed system. You're only with your family, um, maybe your immediate family or your extended family, and you keep people out or not, or everything is open and it's great to have friends. And, you know, it's wonderful, Jeff, if you have friends. So it's this interesting axis about the vertical stuff that we learn from our family and the horizontal, the friendships and siblings are horizontal stuff.
1: Do you, do you think that much, much has changed, changed over 15 years? I'm just uh, using think, 15 years from when the, when the yeah, body system was published. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think that men, I, I think men in society continually are, are much more accepting. I mean, for, for, if we, if we ignore the political stuff, uh, yeah. you know, which, which would be another talk, but the, The issue around around family stuff, men are are more engaged than they were in the family. Men are more comfortable around people that are gay. I mean, all the data, it's not my data, Pew Research Center, much greater acceptance of of gay and lesbian people, Mm -hmm. trans people, LGBTQ+, um, et cetera, people than there was 20 years ago, 15 years ago. Men are not as afraid of being seen as being gay if they're straight. That was one of the issues for some of the men I interviewed right. uh, back in, the, you know, 12, 13 years ago. Little bit of concern about that. Um, men are more comfortable with physical expressions of love and uh, verbal expressions of love. They are still not as far along as women. And I, don't, and I don't think that that's a problem. I don't think that we need to use women's relationships necessarily as a model for mm-hmm. men's relationships, you know, I go over to a friend's house. This is sort of the joke, and my friend and I are watching a football game. And I come home to my wife, and she says, "So did he tell you that he was divorcing?" And I said, "I said no, the, no, the topic never came up." And she's like, "You know," I mean, but you know, maybe men men escape or or want to be with other men because they are not asked to be as emotionally uh, emotive. Um, for for some men now, for, there are men that want more emotional connection, and mm-hmm. there are men that are happy with what they have, and men who want less emotional uh, connection. Sometimes if the women with whom they're engaged or, or, or perhaps another, another man, uh, if they have a, a gay relationship, if they're asking a lot of them emotionally, they may want to escape to be with other men and just do things. And that gets into the shoulder to shoulder versus the, you know, face-to-face I'm sure we'll get into relationships. Yeah. Members
1: yeah. Members.
0: Yeah. Jeff, have, did you ever extend your research on this topic of of male friendships To I mean, it sounds to me, I guess I'm inferring actually, or hypothesizing that you were focused mostly on the United States and not on other cultures. Um, Have you ever gone down that sort of avenue to understand the whys of why men in uh, certain other countries will hold hands walking down the street or more likely to put their arms around one another?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think, as you know, Chris, probably when you get to the so-called Mediterranean countries, those men are, are much more f- physically and emotionally expressive than people from the from Norway, Sweden, Finland, and, and the northern climes in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, those women and men are more verbally and physically expressive. So it's more a part of the culture. But, you know, I struggle with understanding the, the multicultural society here in the United States and i try to be an expert in quotes on that and i get in trouble if i tread in water uh somewhere else i did i i did a sabbatical in australia and there's you know very much um you know a strong male uh independent strain in australia but i can't comment on anything more than than that
0: i i won't quote you on this but it sounded like you almost called like old school toxic masculinity a strain as if it were a, a, a scourge <laughs> or something <laughs> right um uh, i'll leave that to the to the listener to, to thank you um i you know at some point i want to get as sean would tell you or if you knew me well you would know that um it takes a lot for a framework of any sort to like, to land with me. Like, I think that where the world is oversaturated with frameworks, but I really liked that your simple framework of the different ca- categories of friends must trust Justin Um I, 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 I maybe now not the time. Maybe we, we have other ground that either of you would like to cover, but I'm curious if was I, re- should we value those different friend categories differently in terms of their meaning in life?
2: I, well, I can only speak for myself, of course. Uh, I can't speak for other men. I mean, I interviewed at least one man who said, I only have one friend and that's all I need in life. He's, he's everything for me. And this guy was not very connected to other people. I can't sit here and say, no, you should have more friends. I mean, we, we do know, again, writ large, that people with large social networks live longer, happier healthier lives now that's true on these big panel studies doesn't mean that anyone listening or any or the three of us that that applies to us so all these health studies are true with large swaths of, of people but doesn't mean that if I'm doing if, you know I do uh, I do some some individual psychotherapy doesn't mean if I'm talking to somebody my client may say I only need one person okay? Let's let's mm-hmm. listen. Talk about that relationship. Not, gee, Joe, you should be making more friends. You know, I'm not that that wise. Right. Um, so you know. So uh, So yes. Um. You know, having a lot of friendships because obviously you see people, it's intellectually stimulating, it's physically stimulating, you get out more, you and I see each other over lunch and you say, Jeff, you know, what's that mole on your forehead? You better get that removed. Or you say, you know, I just had a colonoscopy. It's, it's not so bad. You, you you need to do that for your health. And I say, gee, I, I've been afraid to, but I'll go to your doctor. I mean, that's how people take care of themselves. Um, it's, it's not just the we're spending time together watching the game. We're going out together. We look at each other from time to time and make comments. Or I just learned to, you know, keep my mouth shut around my my son-in-law. And and you say, you know, Jeff, maybe I should do that with with my daughter-in-law or son-in-law too. That's that's the learning we get, which increases our lifespan. They tell us because
1: we begin to act more adaptively.
0: Yeah. No. You know, and and well, go ahead, Sean.
1: Well, I was just going to have ask Jeff to, to quickly define for the listeners those four categories of friends. Yeah. Um, could you do that real quick, Jeff? Yeah, sure.
2: Um, so again, they are must, trust, rust, and just. Um, must friends would be, for me and maybe for other people, a very small circle of friends. If I won the lottery or something horrific happened to a family member, I'm calling them in the first 24 hours. You know, Sean and Chris, you need to know this just happened to me. We're, we're going to France for the weekend or, uh, or, or I, w- I want you to stay by your phone because I'm going to need you, man, um, you know, soon because something pr- pretty horrific has happened. I'm not, obviously, I don't need to fill in the blanks um, about what that would be. But then I have a large group and that could be three or four guys. Uh, I really have to call so and so. But then I have like this other group, maybe you guys would be in, in that group if we were living in the same city, all of a sudden I see you in the park, or we we run to each other at a party, we had these great talks. And I really feel like I can relate to you, I can trust you, I really like hanging out with you, but we're just sort of traveling in different circles, maybe we don't see each other maybe our wives don't like each other maybe you you work at night and i work during the day and we just never get together, together planfully but when we you know run into each other it's really great and those are the trust friends and those are very important people you have your rust friends who could be must or trust these are your old friends i just had a, a i just had a high school reunion so i go back to you know seeing some of those old friends. uh, And we fall back into some old patterns. And I don't mind going to my high school reunion because I had a good high school experience, but I understand why people uh, would not want to go back to their high school reunion. Um, You know, you know, Jackson Brown said, don't remind me of my failures. I had not forgotten them. Why would you want to go back to your, your high school reunion if you had a, a lousy experience. You, either you didn't like yourself or your friends. And then there are people that are just friends. Maybe they you work with them. Hey, if you're free, do you want to grab some lunch? But you won't plan that a few weeks in advance. You will just get together with them. You know them. Maybe if you're about to go off on the golf course together and they're there, you say, hey, you want to join me in my cart and we'll go out together.
0: Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Thanks for asking that question, Sean, because I, yep. I kind of uh, glossed over that. Um, I guess, you know, as part of the source of my question is, is I'm always, you know, I, there's a distinction between sort of academic research and applied research, right? And so, and I know that your intention was not to say in sort of a Dunbar-esque way, everyone should have 5% of their friends as bus friends and seven, right? But there's also that old saying like if you can't measure it, you can't fix it. So in the course of therapy or, or counseling or anything like that, is should we be doing some assessment of of our relationships according to this framework? Would that be helpful in any way?
2: I, I hate to get out of it by saying it always depends on the client. sure you know, you, you know th- therapists like me have to be careful about making assumptions about how people should live their. Their lives. Um, if somebody is, I think that more therapists need to ask about friends. We're all trained to ask about what was your relationship like with your mother, father, not so much siblings or your yeah. kids or your partner, and that's where a lot of people come into therapy, obviously around their, their their partner issues and also around their their parents and their and their children. People need to also be asking about siblings and about friends. This mm. this, this horizontal. Level, but um, I'm very I'm very hesitant uh, to enter. I, I may inter- introduce ideas, and I, I've got a framework. If friends come up, but um, I'm hesitant to push, you know, some idea that that I've constructed unless I really think it can help. I do push the notion. I think this can apply to friendship too. I think it does apply to friendship. That our family members, our siblings, our partners, um, I think, are sort of Governed by the three A's: affection, ambivalence, and ambiguity. I may love my my wife to pieces. I may love my siblings to pieces, but I also have mixed feelings about them. Uh, I'll I'll say more of my siblings than my wife in case she can hear me. Smart, smart, PhD. That's
0: a PhD right there. (laughs) There
2: we go. There we go. But you you know, and and I think, and so number one, I of course I have mixed feelings about them. I've, I've lived with them for my, my whole life. Um, and I also, there are also things that are ambiguous. I just don't understand why my sibling, I'll say, married the person my sibling did. You know, what, what was that about? Or why did she, he do this either to me or to their kids? So, you know, I think looking at life as not being so cut and dried. But yeah, there's a lot of love and affection with friends. But, you know, we also have mixed feelings, what do you do with a friend that you've had for your whole life, who says and does something that you find offensive, you know, and, you know, I'm, I'm love to to drop a friend for that reason. But again, what's what's my limit of acceptability? And we're, yeah. we all have this now in a more politicized environment.
0: Yeah, that, that's awesome. Well, um, so I'm going to take one more swing at this. Okay, Um, and and it's not. I'm not really trying to, because you've answered the question more than satisfactorily. But as you were doing this research, or maybe after you published the book, did you evaluate your circle, and and did you identify anything that you wished were out of balance, or you thought was out of balance, or you wished you could work on? Yeah, and this is where
2: a case study can really change mm-hmm. a life, and we get away from interviews with 300 people. But you read a sentence from somebody. I mean, again, mm-hmm. it's it, 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 it's it's obvious. The, the role model of Ruth Bader Ginsburg or, or Martin Luther King, you know, or George Washington. It, those are all role models about how how to live one's life. So um, certainly one of the things. I changed was somebody said to me in an interview that um, if I'm someplace and with some guys or people and they are running down my friend, I used to be quiet about it. And now I realize that's not that's not what, what a, a good friend does. And now I always speak up. And when somebody begins to enter comments about somebody that I consider a friend, and I sit there and accept it and don't challenge it. I don't have to challenge it because it's their experience. I can say, I want you to know um, uh, jo- Joe and I are, are friends and, I, um, and I, I don't want to get uncomfortable in where this conversation is going. That if I'm a true friend of Joe, I need to stop that conversation. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things that I, I learned immediately from listening to some of the interviews.
0: Mm-hmm. That's right. So
1: so one of the things that was really interesting to me, and reading the book, and I, and I I want you guys to to comment on first of all is you the the section you start talking about the definition of friendship. Uh, first of all, the thing that was was really great for me going backwards is you as you talk about uh, Brian Piccolo and Gail Sayers, and mm-hmm. and you bring up Brian's song, and I went back and watched the speech again, and immediately started bawling. I, I think I think I, I looked at when it was I was eight years old when mm-hmm. Brian's song came out. I bawled then. I ball every time I, I hear the speech. It is so to this day so moving. Um but one of the things that was was interesting to me as I read the different men talk about their definition of friendship is is a lot of um talk about trust and loyalty. And and I have to be honest with you guys, those those two words didn't really resonate with me when I think about friendship. Um And so I wanted to, you know, Jeff, from your perspective as being the researcher and writing the book and Chris, from your perspective as being, you know, a man that has a lot of friends, how do, how do those words resonate for you two guys?
2: Chris, do you want to go first?
0: (laughs) Uh, well, I mean, gosh, Jeff, you really, you really pawned that one off pretty gracefully. Um,
2: I, uh, I I teach, so it's my job to ask you. Know, <laughs> yeah, right. I'm, I'm happy to go first. Yeah, why um, don't
0: you go first? Because whatever you have to say is going to be smarter than what I'm about to say. No, so. n-
2: that I that I doubt. But let's let's admit it; it may be different. How about that? Fair enough. Um, I did not want to get in the position of as a researcher, nor would I as a clinician in defining what friendship means to to you or or mm-hmm. to anybody. -hmm. I don't. I I don't know what friendship is, so I I asked them, and that's where uh, a lot of the guys said that trust was very important and being loyal. There's an interesting sort of niche in there, in that guys said two things that are maybe opposed to each other. One is, I like a friend who will tell me to my face, you know, what what they're thinking. Yeah, I, I like that but then I like a friend who, who, if we're in the room together, he'll have my, my back.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Well, those are not necessarily in the same place. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, if, right. if you want me to tell you the truth, then I I think you're, you're, you're being, being an idiot right now, which means I may not have your back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so there's sort of that thing. I think part of it is like, I'm tough. So I can take it. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that thing. And I think I've, want my friends to to tell it to me too, but I want them to do it in a way that I can hear it. Um so that's where the honesty comes in and that's where the loyalty comes in. I think if you're loyal and we're in a room together, I, I know you're going to have my back and I can I can trust you. And that's where the honesty comes in too. So there I think they may be maybe parallel and men may not realize it or men just may go back to that That's part of the ambivalence or that's part of the ambiguity of friendship. Mm -hmm. All right, Chris, I'm going to punt it back to you now, man. Well, that was a,
0: I mean, you, you helped me clarify my thinking. I do think that there is a, a little bit like masculinity, there's an arcane understanding of what loyalty means. I think a lot of men might think loyalty means you got my back no matter what. And as you just highlighted, Jeff, like if you're really a trusting, caring, empathetic, curious, non-judgmental friend, you're going to have my back. But if you screw up, I'm going to make sure I tell you that too. And so I'm with you, Sean. I mean, it's 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 a confusing it's not confusing but 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 there's more nuance there than just saying hey trust and loyalty is all you need you know
1: yeah 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 and, and and as you guys were saying even prior to that question i mean this idea of um communication and and there was a lot of particularly older men talking about being understood and and um and, and I guess in the nature of communications, in the in in talking and in listening, and um, sharing back with the person that you're engaging with, um, being understood, I to me that one resonated really well. Maybe that's because I'm maybe that's because I am an older guy. But but that, as far as the depth of, of of friendship, means that we're really engaged and connected at some level because we're we're striving to understand each other which seemed to me to be in my definition would be more important than these concepts of, of trust and loyalty.
2: It's also interesting to cons- also interesting to consider that we don't really get into, well, is that need to be understood being met by a, by a significant other, by a, by a partner, male or female. And so if I feel understood um, I'm heterosexual married to a woman, if I feel understood by her can I sit there and say, you know, this guy I'm hanging with doesn't really understand me, but it's, it's okay because I get that need met by my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, I think we need to look at men as part of a, of a system too. And this is where some of the differences between men's and women's friendships come in too. And not my research, but other research says that women tend to turn to other women to, to the talk because men are not trained as well. to to listen
0: well so uh, to your point sean like uh, being missed or being understood i agree that that feels good to be understood Mm -hmm. um but i feel like a foundational requisite to that is having someone who is empathetic who who cares about your story who wants to know your story and this is a, a lead into a question for you jeff because you have looked at sort of both women and men on this issue and even your, your 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 quip quippy example about oh we went and watched the game and I have no I had no idea he was getting divorced right, um, is is the empathy muscle in women sort of inherently stronger than in men? Do they mm-hmm. care more about other stories? Do they want to know what ails their friends more than men want to know what ails their friends? I think so. <laughs> it seems like it, doesn't it? Like all the evidence yes. that all three of us have collected would suggest that. Right. So, is right. It,
1: but is that, is that nature or is that our condition? I mean, you, right. you talk about gender in the book a little bit. I mean, you get to that question. Right. Um, I,
2: I'm, yeah. I'm just saying the, I mean, again, when I, when we, we just finished our, our, our research, Michael Woolley and I on the, on the, on the mother-in-law, daughter-in-law, father-in-law, son-in-law, the, the in-law relationship book, women are much more central Sons-in-law say they're closer to their mother-in-law than and, and to their father-in-law. Mm-hmm.
0: It's like,
2: and and I'm looking at this, you know, I'm very much aware of these gender roles, and I'm looking for men to be, you know, much more there, and they're just the data just isn't there to support that. Yes, though they're much more there than their fathers were, just mm-hmm. are not quite, well, you know, uh, on in the same place, and maybe we shouldn't try to be. I mean that's the other other question why is that necessary I I don't know maybe you know there's some things about men's friendships that that women said they, they admire mm-hmm. they, they admire that sometimes men don't don't process things as much and yeah. and things get get done or when there is a dispute men don't tend to hold on to it as long and they, they let it go at right. some at some point I I remember my father saying he had a huge fight with uh, with one of his friends, and then sort of they began talking. A year or two later, they sort of forgot what the fight was about, mm-hmm. and I don't know. So I think we're able maybe to let go of things better, or to or to cut things off. Now that's the other side of that. I think men are willing to. Sorry guys, this is over. I'm I'm out of here. And women want to process it more and say, even if we can't be best friends, can we still be good friends? Or even if we're not going to date anymore, can we at least still stay? in contact. I think men for better and for worse say, I'm sorry, I'm out of here. And that that's a problem in, in family yeah. yeah. where there's, there's, obviously male absence is a real issue in, in, in families.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I, it's funny. Cause I was going to ask you when your book that suggests that women could benefit from more shoulder to shoulder friendships is coming out. Um, I, of course <laughs> I know that's not true, but, um, but, 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 but I guess where I'm going with that is th- we have to, acknowledge that there is some value in shoulder to shoulder relationships, right. And, and just watching a game and drinking pints of beer.
2: Yeah. Especially if that's what you, you want and you can find that buddy to to do that with what's what, what's the problem there. I mean, I don't, if, if some, I'm not going to ascribe meaning to someone's life. Um, mm-hmm. So if they're, if they're happy having that beer and maybe they have a very intense job or maybe they have a, a a child at home with special needs, maybe they have a partner, man or woman with special needs, um, and they need to, to get away and have some space. And, and, and women obviously do that too. There's a lot of, lot of Mother's Day stuff uh, last year, especially during COVID, with what should you get for mom for Mother's Day? You should give her the day off.
0: Uh-huh. Right? And then, <laughs>
2: then then along comes Father's Day. What should we give father? I heard nobody suggest you should give (laughs) a off.
1: (laughs) Well, and I I want to get to the shoulder-to-shoulder point because in in looking at, um, there's a variety of of men's organizations around the world, actually, that are very focused on shoulder-to-shoulder activities. I think there's one in in the UK that I saw. They're all about building huts, I think is what they called it. And and Mm -hmm. that's where they have developed their relationship with Common Work shoulder to shoulder and so it's not just drinking beer and watching TV it's it's about actually doing things accomplishing things um, which would be very traditionally male right i mean accomplishing things
2: well i mean i, I, mean, I mean just just to go back in history keep in mind yeah. shoulder and shoulder stuff is what helped us a civilization to survive yeah. because it was the men who would go out together and hunt hunt the saber-toothed tiger and if you and I, you know, Chris or Sean are going out for for hunting, we're not we're not looking at each other, you know, we're right. we're looking out. And if we're if we're defending the village from from the next village who wants to come over and and t- take over our land or our or our fire, we're we're looking out. So we're we're uh, shoulder to shoulder while women are taking care of. I may be oversimplifying the food and the children and looking at each other over the fire, cooking the food, we're, we're protecting everybody. So there's a, a lot of survival stuff that goes with that. And I, I don't want to forget to get into the, the, the two other issues around masculinity. There are two images of masculinity. There's that knight in shining armor who's strong, the best sports person, the uh, gladiator, etc. cetera, that has a, a, a real appeal as masculinity, but the other role of masculinity is a silver-tongued bard, the guy who is wooing the woman, uh, the, the, the Don, the Don Quixote. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, the Cyrano de Bergerac, mm-hmm. who is is wooing the, the woman up there in the tower with mm-hmm. with a silver tongue, and he gets the he gets the girl too, as as mm-hmm. does the guy. Those are very guy on, on the horse. Those are very different images of men of, of yep. masculinity but they both end up in the same place
1: i, I did want to say though if, if there's a saber-toothed tiger we may not be exactly shoulder to shoulder i may be just a little bit behind you jeff so, <laughs> and, 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 as far as as far as defending so you know just, you know, just uh, that's why you could you could lead the charge i might be just behind uh, you right? i only i only have to be able to run faster than one <laughs> right,
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, If we can go back to, uh, you know, must, trust, just, and and rust, again, I have sort of a a one-off question. Um, I'm curious if you and your colleagues have given any thought to this. The question involves social media, right? And for all the harm social media, and and by the way, you mentioned a reunion I think you just had. I'm headed to my 30-year college reunion this weekend. Really looking forward to seeing all of those different levels of friends. But I have found there to be at least a glimmer of good that comes from social media, which is to sort of knock the rust off of those rust friendships. Um, It doesn't elevate those friendships into one of the other categories, um, but it it does seem to to be serving a a beneficial purpose in that sense. Is there? Absolutely. have, Have you guys looked at social media and its influence on friendships and does it do net more harm than good, et cetera?
2: I think I think social media in general, uh, in the vein of friendships, has been has been fantastic. You you can go on Facebook and connect with people. You can you you find out where your where your classmates are from thirty years ago, and one is out in uh, out in, in uh, up in New York City, and you're going to New York City, and you say, hey, I'm going to be there. Do you want to meet for a drink? You would never be able to do that in the yeah. past. You would never be able to track them down. And then the advantage of Zoom. I mean, we, we, we would not be able to be looking at each other f- five years ago. We yeah. we do- doing this on a, on a recorder in a in a studio. So you know, think about how, how fantastic it is. Think uh, I have I have four grandchildren in Boston, and I can I can pick them up and fa- and, and Facetime with them. Yeah. I mean, what? How's yeah, it yeah. possible that my kid is, is a 500 miles away? And, and and her two kids are there and we're all talking. What? And I can see them. It's ridiculous. It's it's so fantastic. I mean, obviously there are downsides to it, but
0: mm-hmm.
2: overall, how fantastic for staying connected.
1: Yeah, Chris, I would just say on on this point on on uh, reunions, my daughter Katie, uh, her first 10-year high school reunion would be this year. And she's like, Why why would I why would I even go? I mean, what is the reunion even for anymore? Because I see everybody that I know from high school on social media. And so like, what what are we even, what are we even going to talk about? Um, So it's almost like, what's the reason for, because if there are people you want to get together with you're getting together with them anyways, everybody else you can see based on what they're doing on social media. So it's almost like has the, has the reunion passed by uh, the young folks and old guys like us are still clinging to them.
0: I, 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 I would, I would, push back with a I'm, definitive no right because yes, i, yes. I, I want to hug some of those rusty friends you know yeah um and and i i want to be because it is great to stay in touch um but the tendency is also to do it on a more sort of surface level it's hard to go deep even on a zoom call um but anyway i mean i,
1: I, I get I, you know me i i differ i i think you know over the last couple of years i've developed 60 friendships in, in all four categories. Well, maybe not rust because it's only been a couple of years, but in three categories, um, all via zoom. And, and so I feel like those, um, back to the definitions of what a friend is. I mean, I feel like it's been, it's been pretty deep engagement. Um, -hmm. and the technology has been a, has been a platform for that. Yeah,
2: I know at least one man who who went into treatment and said he felt more comfortable doing it on Zoom than in person. He was he was very very unsure about going into treatment, and he felt he wouldn't be revealing as much of himself uh, if he if he was on Zoom. So, Interesting. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Again, w- yeah. whether or not that's that's five percent of the population or or twenty five, yeah. I don't know. But there certainly are men and humans that are going to fall into that category too. Sure. It's contextual,
0: like you said before, right? It depends on the person. We have a few minutes left, um, where, uh, and at the end, Jeff, we like to ask people just three sort of cute little questions like inside the actor studio. But before we go there, I want to give you an opportunity to, to, to say anything. I mean, I know this book is now 14 or 15 years old, but you want to say anything else about any of your, Uh, other upcoming work? or
2: Let me just clarify one thing about the shoulder-to-shoulder face-to-face that we sort of touched on but did not clarify as clearly as we did must, rust, trust, and just. That is that I write in the book that uh, men tend to construct friendships shoulder-to-shoulder, and women tend to construct friendships face-to-face. Women tend to feel more comfortable face-to-face, and men will get together with friends and do something, either watch sports or play sports from the interviews that we did. So I just want to clarify that, which means when I got to my couples friendships book, you would have, and if we're talking about heterosexual couples, sometimes the male partner would feel himself pulled into a face-to-face couple's conversation that he didn't feel necessarily comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so either you're gonna to get together with another couple and do face-to-face stuff or shoulder-to-shoulder stuff, and somebody's gonna mm-hmm. feel feel different things. So it's just interesting to think about you know, what people feel comfortable with, how women uh, in that research tended to try and make friends for their husbands. They would say, my husband doesn't have enough friends. And they would get together with another wife and say, maybe our husbands will like each other. Let's the four of us get together. Okay, are we going to do dinner? Are we going to play golf? Well, let's find something that the guys like to do together. And much more common for women to try and make friends for their husbands than for husbands to try and make friends for their wives. Mm, Interesting. Almost almost zero. Uh, So anyway, that was just the friendship part.
1: I and that hasn't changed. Cause you talk about that in the book, um, from 15 years ago. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, we, uh, I'm, I feel confident in saying that we've seen men come into our men's group, um, who are ready to share what's weighing on them at their first meeting and others who it may take years. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and so, we each have our own stuff, right?
2: But keep in mind you also have a selected audience. You've got yeah, yeah. You've self-selected the population, right? yep. as as they say. Yeah, if yeah, anyway.
1: Well, and yeah. that's and I and I'm and I'm sitting here and and thinking about shoulder-to-shoulder, face-to-face. I mean, all that we're doing here and and all that we've constructed primarily within men living is face is really face-to-face mm-hmm. relationships. And and um I can understand why at some level it's you know, maybe uncomfortable for guys given this. Yeah. Perspective.
0: I almost think that that phrase deserves a spot on the website. Honestly. I mean, it it is uh, important to be understood, to get to know one another, to, you know, to, to care about what's what folks are are dealing with. Okay. Jeff, (laughs) we don't want to take too much more of your time, but a few, just, a, you know, maybe two minutes here to ask you, do you remember the show Inside the Actor's Studio? You remember that, where he asked? I used
2: it? to watch it, yes. There you go. All
0: right. So this is your chance. This is huge, right? <laughs> I can't
1: wait. Okay. All right. Easy, easy. <laughs> your, the buildup is like way too much.
0: I know, I know. I, sh- I should set my set expectations a little more <laughs> yeah. gracefully. Yeah. Um, and it, the good news is it used to be four. Now it's three questions. Yeah. Uh, and here we go. Um, top of mind. Uh, What do you wish you could have told your 10-year-old self, Jeff?
2: Oh, what do I wish I could have told my 10-year-old self? I wish I would have told my 10-year-old self to chill more, Mm -hmm. to be more chill. And that the best part of life is, you know, at my age where you learn what to take and what to ignore. I mean, how great would that have been? I wish I had been a better student. I was a horrible student. I tried hard I just never was a good student and here I am a professor. So yeah, it's like yeah. you know chill and things are going to work out for you and I've been I've been very lucky and a lot of life is luck. You meet the right person, you don't get in a in a devastating car accident and have chronic back pain or whatever. A lot of this stuff happens to people is is luck. And obviously the, the luck of where you're born. I got born on the I got born on on third base. And there's some people that don't get, get born um, more than a foot off of home um, plate heading to first.
0: That, that's right. That's right.
2: Yeah. Okay. So, okay, okay, okay. Okay. Okay.
0: Two, two more quickies. Uh, what do you hope, Jeff, that people will say about you at your wake?
2: Oh, that I was a loving spouse, loving father, and a good teacher.
0: And probably a pretty good friend, too, is my guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, last thing. Do you have a mantra in life or even a mantra these days?
2: Life is full of affection, ambivalence, and ambiguity. There it
0: is. There it is. Perfect capper. Uh, Jeff, it's been a pleasure.
2: Uh, You guys have been great. What a great uh, interview and great job. Great work you guys are doing. Thank you so much for including me in it. Loved it,
0: Jeff. Thank thank you for joining us. This is Chris. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of If You've Come This Far. And this is Sean.
1: Remember to check us out at menliving.org.